Welcome to Cryptid Radio. My name is Adeline. I've rigged up this relay tower to bring you this broadcast on the cryptids and creatures of the area. I'll come up and change out the hollow tape when I can. Hi! Sorry for the long delay. I got lost in the mines of Welch. I went down to Welch to do some research, and a couple scavengers saw me wandering around. They asked me what was up, so I told them I wanted to look more into the mining in the area. I should have known they were ripping me off, but they were so nice. They said they had a map of the mines that would get me in and out in a day. All they wanted was some Calmex, Day Tripper, and Psycho. I'd found some recently, but I hadn't made it to the White Springs Mall to sell it to the robots yet, so I traded it to them. I should have just given the freaking chems to Rabbit. At least then, I would have got to catch up with a friend and hear a good story or two. But no, I spent two weeks dodging missiles, shotgun blasts, and angry mole rats. At least I learned something, I guess. Coal mining first began in the West Virginia region in the mid-1800s, before it was even called West Virginia. The industry hit a boom in the early 1900s because coal powered everything. Industry, railroads, streetcars, it heated homes and businesses. Everyone came into contact with coal in one way or another in their daily lives. With coal being so indispensable, many outside of the coal towns assumed that the men and boys that mined it were well off. But that was not the case. The mine owners focused on market competition and earning the most for themselves, and ignored the workers that generated that revenue. It was worse than low pay. The miners usually weren't paid in actual money, but in scrip. You know, that currency we trade into the weapon and armor machine to get the good stuff? Yeah, that came from the miners. The coal companies would pay them in company-specific scrip that they would only be able to use at that company's store. The miners and their families had no financial freedom. They couldn't save, they couldn't move, they were stuck. Also, so many coal miners died of roof collapses, explosions, fires, and mine floodings. Mining safety laws here in West Virginia were the weakest in the country. The few that existed weren't really enforced either. The low pay, long hours, and exploitation that came from living in a company town was so hard on the people. Soon, the miners began looking to unionize, like many of the workers in other industries in the United States. However, like you'd assume, the mine owners and coal operators fiercely resisted any attempts, causing violent episodes that ended up being called the West Virginia Mine Wars. In August of 1921, thousands of pro-union miners set out to march from Charleston to Mingo County to free miners that were arrested for striking. To get to Mingo County, they had to cross Mount Blair. The miners were met on Mount Blair by the anti-union sheriff and his citizen army, and fighting began. It was the largest insurrection on U.S. soil since the American Civil War. President Harding had to call in the U.S. Army. When they showed up, the miners laid down their weapons. After Mount Blair, the state worked with the private coal companies to charge over 500 of the pro-union marchers with treason against the state of West Virginia, murder, accessory to murder, and conspiracy to commit murder. The trials for these charges were the last gasp of the push to unionize the coal fields in West Virginia. 
But this wasn't the last time miners would fight for their livelihood and well-being in West Virginia. History always repeats itself. Hornwright Industrial Mining Company has always been part of Appalachian Mining. But under Daniel Hornwright's leadership, the company became one of the biggest monsters in the region before the war. Daniel's father always said, products are only as good as the people who build them. Daniel misinterpreted those words, taking them to mean the products were only as strong and reliable as the workforce. So as soon as he took control of the company, he went full tilt on every automated program the company had. Eliminating the need for human workers meant eliminating the need for sick days, vacations, maternity leave, holidays, and leave for the deaths of families. It meant maintaining output and quality control without having to worry about the human aspect. The auto mining program was the beginning of Hornwright's ambitious endeavor to fully automate the company before 2100. Hornwright began by laying off miners who worked in their mines, replacing them with auto miners, and put more resources into pilot projects that would eliminate the human element from other parts of the mining process. The laying off of the miners ultimately led to the Monongah mine collapse and Earl becoming the Wendigo monstrosity, if you remember me talking about that. In 2070, Hornwright activated the Rock Hound at the top of Mount Blair, neglecting to think of the impact it would have on the environment. It horribly polluted Appalachia, specifically the region we now call the Ash Heap. Heck, it made the Ash Heap. It devastated the ecosystem and filled the air with soot and ash. And Hornwright didn't care. He didn't want to spend money on recovering the area. The Clear Skies Alliance approached the company, proposing to share ownership of air scrubbers that would purify the air. Hornwright was interested but not for the good of the people or the environment, but because he could turn a profit. He figured out that he could repurpose the scrubbers to ionize particles and convert them into usable minerals, turning the scrubbers into ash forges. It ended up only making things worse. To feed those ash forges, Hornwright ignited the old toxic mines around Mount Blair to fill the air with mineral-rich soot, destroying the air quality even more. In early October 2076, automatic mining services forced families out of the town of Welch. Though it had nothing to do with Hornwright, the miners of Appalachia had had enough. They rose up against all the mining corporations and rioted across the region. On Mount Blair, miners seized the Rock Hound. For eight days, they held out, striking and demanding a right to work. Then, the National Guard sent in a specifically designed fleet of combat robots called Strikebreakers, commissioned by Hornwright. They were sent to eliminate the rioters, echoing the events of the Battle of Mount Blair back in 1921. Remember, history repeats itself. The Strikebreakers did what they were sent to do. They took out the miners and returned control to Hornwright. The remaining human staff at Hornwright Industrial was disturbed and disgusted at the brutality and violence, but to Daniel Hornwright, it was just evidence of the need to expedite the automation. With the Motherlode project and the auto miners, the company would soon be able to operate with a staff of only 20 humans. There was only one thing left for Hornwright to do, take out the competition. 
Garahan Mining was still operating under human mining power, with the assistance of the excavator power armor. In April 2077, Vivian Garahan challenged Hornwright to a duel between the Garahan excavators and the Hornwright auto miners. Vivian was hoping the challenge would raise awareness of the company and the human element it still possessed among an automation-obsessed Appalachia. The challenge was a 24-hour non-stop mining battle. It started October 18th with auto miners and excavators chewing through the rock at their designated sites. They were almost even matched. By the end of the day, Hornwright had won by a thin margin, 1.85 tons, less than a truckload. With the loss, Garahan's stock plummeted, making it easy for Hornwright to take over. Turns out, Hornwright cheated all along. I don't know how they intervened, but I found a note in the Hornwright industrial basement stating they did. All to get the mineral deposit finding tech of the Garahan excavators. The goal was to make super auto miners that required zero human oversight. And you would think that that would be the top of the shady Hornwright cake, but it wasn't. After the defeat and takeover of Garahan, Hornwright worked closely with Governor Evans, pumping money into ballot measure six in Appalachia that would increase funds allocated to automation and a mandate to eliminate human employment within a decade. He also took steps to eliminate any potential obstacles, mainly Senator Sam Blackwell. Blackwell was targeted and his family was threatened by goons hired by Hornwright, forcing the senator into hiding, weakening the free states. Then, the Great War erased all of it. When the bombs fell, Hornwright had not yet succeeded in eliminating all of the human miners. There were still mines filled with people. There were also people in the ash heap that fled to the mines for safety. They got stuck in there. I'm not sure if it was the radiation, toxicity in the mines, or a combination, but they turned into what we now call mole miners. They're trapped in the mining suits that they used for safety. The mole miners are territorial. They'll attack anything and anyone they see as a threat. In the Enclave Research Facility, I found some more detailed information. Their bodies have degenerated into stout, squat humanoids. Their limbs are thick and short, and their faces are disfigured, and their eyes bulge. They're extremely strong, but they can't be without their breathing apparatus. If it's removed, they will quickly suffocate. Because of this breathing apparatus, their communication is garbled and often sounds like nonsense. But if you listen closely, you can understand. And they're angry. So very angry. I ran into some of them when I was lost. I tried hard not to fight them. I mean, I went into their home. But some of them spotted me. After dodging some missiles and a shotgun blast or two, I managed to hide in a crevice and get a few recordings of them while they were looking for me. Listen. <laughs> He said, never see the light again. And this one? They say, I'll hear your bones snap. That's freaking terrifying. I can only assume they're still angry about how horribly they were treated by the mining corporations. Maybe something about their mutation or being stuck underground makes them think it's not 25 years later. 
Maybe they don't know the corporations are dead. Hopefully, though, over time, they can learn to live with us and not attack us like Purveyor Murmurg. I know they can show compassion. They have mole rats as pets. Some of them even seem to worship the Ultracite Titan as some sort of mind god. Surely they'll learn to understand that we aren't the bad guys. What do you think? Could we be friends with the mole miners one day? Until next time, keep your eyes open and stay safe out there.